What's up and welcome to Groundbreaking, a friendly original podcast bringing you the young creatives redefining entrepreneurship and introducing you to tomorrow's leaders today. I'm Jake Brewer. Let's get started. On today's episode, I'm talking to Sarah Graysdorf, a recent Boston University graduate who found something missing in women's workwear, pockets. Today we're chatting with the now CEO of Holdet on not only how she began, but where she's headed. Thank you so much everybody for joining us here on the very first episode of Groundbreaking. This is a friendly original podcast, as you heard, and something that I've been wanting to do for a very, very long time now because I feel like with entrepreneurship and this sort of pursuit of self-fulfillment and this kind of growing trend, especially with younger people of feeling the need to um, employ yourself and create something that's larger from yourself and get people involved and sort of create a movement or a wave um, is not only so attractive to other young people, but is so attractive to people from a very personal standpoint. And this is a project that I've been wanting to sort of get moving and we finally hit record on it because, um, what comes with entrepreneurship, and I think many of the questions that start in people's minds about starting your own business is, what, like, what's this first step? Or like, there's so many ambiguous um, steps that are sort of in between the ideal stages. And I've been doing a lot of outreach, a lot of research, and I found some insanely inspiring and incredibly wise and ambitious people who inspire me daily to be creative um, and who definitely will be inspiring you too. And so there's really nobody else that I would really want to start off this whole podcast in this series with than my good friend, Sarah Graysdorf. Sarah is the CEO and founder of Holdet. I could tell you all about Holdet, but trust me, it's going to be a lot better coming from her. It's such a treat to introduce my friend, Sarah. Sarah, how's it going? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I I mean, again, you are just a constant inspiration. And I think we've done like a couple of interviews and such with each other over the years and ever since we first met, what, like three years ago now? Something yeah, like I that? think coming, coming, it's been three years. Yeah, freshman three year. Three years, <laughs> which I feel like is such a good starting point for our, for our conversation. But first, I do want to sort of set this background in this context of what Holdet is. And I have a really good sense, but I can guarantee you've pitched this so many times. And, you know, it's probably, you're probably freaking out of me asking you to give the pitch or just feels like you've done it so many times, but give us like a relaxed pitch. Sure. Um, you're talking to fellow, fellow entrepreneurs here. And um, for really anybody, this podcast is made for everybody, no matter who they are, their background or what their interests are. Um, so just share with us um, just your general entrepreneurial story. Awesome. So thank you for that intro. Um, I run a company, as Jake mentioned, called Holdet. We make professional workwear that has real pockets for women. So I'll break that down a little bit. Professional workwear, workwear that you would wear to an office, whether that is a suit or dresses or um, blazers, other professional clothing. And then real pockets is a pocket that can hold your phone without the risk of it falling out. And unfortunately, as I'm sure many of your female listeners can relate to, um, we often don't get those real pockets in really any of our clothing, especially workwear. 
This is because on average, women's pockets are 48% shorter than men's pockets. And so we can't carry our phones or our keys or our wallets or really anything uh, in our in our pockets. And so about um, two and a half years ago, I set out trying to solve this problem. Uh, started with a newsletter. We've pivoted and grown a lot since then. And ultimately, last May, I decided to launch my own clothing line. And that's kind of where we are today. That's, I mean, incredible. I think there's so much I want to unpack there about your story and how you've come to where you are right now. Um, But there's, again, there's really no better place to start than years ago when we first met. I remember we we lived in the same building our freshman year um, at Boston University. And when I met you, I think there is this such a strong energy and vibrance about you that I think people already just feel just by hearing you speak. of passion and drive. And um, you have such a unique entrepreneurial energy that I've always been wanting to emulate. And so I'm really glad you're here with us. But um, I think I want to start with how it sort of began, because I remember freshman year when you were like, um, you found this sort of hole in the marketplace. And I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurial ideas start. um, Because again, like there's, where's the pockets for females. And so I want you to like, how did this idea become something that you thought could be a business? Mm -hmm. Sure. So it actually goes back to before we met, which is when I had the the first uh, kind of idea that there might be something worth tackling here. It was uh, my senior year of high school, spring. And quite honestly, I was just taking a shower one day. And I think some people have these like really great, brilliant entrepreneurial founding stories, but showers are where I do my best thoughts. So it's, that's so true. No, that that happens. Same thing to me too. <laughs> right. So I was taking a shower one day and I was like, how come whenever I leave the house, I have to carry my phone and my keys and my wallet in my hands or in a purse. And none of my male friends have to do that. And I realized, you know, they have all those same belongings and they're obviously carrying them somewhere. And I realized it's because they had pockets and I didn't. And I just, pretty much immediately decided that that was not fair at all. (laughs) And uh, so did what I would now consider an extremely minimal amount of market research uh, to my today's standards. Um, Basically did a Google search was like, is anybody tackling this issue? Is anyone putting pockets in women's clothing? And at that point is three, three years ago now. And really nobody was. And so you could find like an occasional pocket here or there, but for some, for a brand to be so focused on intentional functionality, there was really nobody doing it. And so, but I was in high school. And so I had basically no entrepreneurial resources available to me mm-hmm. uh, as a 17 year old. And so got to be in the fall, started talking about it with friends and everyone was like, yeah, you have to do something about this. All my female friends were like, I experienced that issue every single day. Mm-hmm. My male friends were like, yes, I've had to carry my friend or my girlfriend or mm-hmm. you know, anybody's phone for them because she had nowhere to carry it. And so that January, I started sending out, January 2018, I started sending out a newsletter that had clothes with pockets in it. It was like four to six pieces. Um, it was like pants with pockets or dresses with pockets. And I just started there and I was just talked about it all the time and tried to get as many people as I could to sign up for my email list, which was like a hundred, not even all of whom were really in my target market and kind of, yeah, grew from there. It's, it's so interesting. You, you found this 
sort of obvious demand and something people can relate to so heavily. And I think that evidence is there. When you first started like talking about this with other people, were their reactions like, this isn't amazing, like take this idea and run? Or are they like, what are you going to take from this? Or like, was there any doubts from people who of course supported you, but were wondering like how this was going to become like a tangible thing or project for you? Sure. I think most people who I talked to the idea about like get like understood what it was and at that time back in in 2018 I really had no plans of starting a clothing line myself I studied computer science in college and knew absolutely nothing about it and (laughs) which you know comes up to be a pretty relevant uh later in the development story but uh at that time I wasn't planning on launching clothing line so the idea of me just putting clothes in a newsletter people are like yeah cool I mean the idea of like blogs and newsletters had been around for a while I wasn't like inventing Mm -hmm. anything particularly new at that point even aggregation and and affiliate marketing the whole idea that you know I could take these clothes from companies and get paid like three pennies every time somebody clicked on it that wasn't really that new either and so I don't think I was particularly like you know, stirring up the pot, catching anybody off guard, but the idea that I was solving this problem that they had experienced for so long resonated very strongly with them. Everybody understood it. But I think, you know, a lot of the doubt came from myself, not maybe in that moment, but as the company grew, which was like, you know, am I solving this problem the best way? How can I do it better? Um, Am I qualified to be doing this? All that stuff, which ultimately led to a couple pivots because I wanted to solve the problem the best way I could. But, you know, it's, it's those kind of moments of self-reflection and encouragement from others that, that lead you hopefully down the right path. No, exactly. I, I think the point that you hit about self-doubt is something that I think is also super relatable. And that sounds like a word that you has been a real focus for you is the relatability of everything. Um, and so you, I know you started with the newsletter and mm-hmm. I remember getting those first few newsletters from you and you're sort of being that, um, I don't, I don't know if you, maybe if you're fond of this term, but like just the middleman between people and these producers um, mm-hmm. of clothing, how did those first few instances start? Cause I know you were sort of sorting clothing from like forever 21 and like H and M and, was there a relationship between you and those brands when you first started or were you just sort of being acting as this sole individual sort of setting up what you wanted to do? Mm-hmm. At the very beginning, I literally would just scour the internet and try to find product photos where people had their hands like more or less in a pocket yeah. and uh, would say, okay, great. That's, that's close enough. And cause I, I you know, I wasn't going to take the time and I certainly didn't have the money to buy all these clothes just to test the pockets and then return them. And mm-hmm. so uh, ultimately at the beginning was just really like copying and pasting photos, which I'm not so sure is legal. And, but ultimately <laughs> I was trying to drive business to these companies. So I don't think this news and desist would have been so harsh anyways. But um, <laughs> that summer I was accepted into the Boston university summer accelerator program. And that summer I basically built out this website, which was just like the newsletter, but you could access the clothes all week. And hmm. so it was kind of, it looked more like a shopping website, although ultimately you'd just end up clicking on the photos and it would take you to whoever's website it was. But that's when I really like tapped into the whole affiliate marketing thing. And at that point I was working with a company who did have a relationship with those brands and had gotten the agreement. So you'd get five, seven, 10% of the sale of something when somebody purchased um, it. Interesting. And what, like, what was, what was the click through rate on that? Were you finding that people were more engaged with the emails or like the website platform? 
that requires me to do a little bit of uh, thinking. About, <laughs> yeah, don't worry. No, I'm not expecting like any numbers or anything. <laughs> I'm not sure. But um, what I do know and ultimately what was helpful is that by the end of the summer, we had like 5,000 website views and wow. didn't spend a single dollar on ads, um, which had basically just been through like word of mouth and sharing about it on social media and Facebook mm-hmm. and just trying to like get the word out there. And um, that that was a that was enough for me to say okay there's there's something here was there was there like an obvious turning point because i think a lot of people start with the basic foundations of like my family and friends support this mm-hmm. and that's enough for like a starting foundation but when did you feel like you hit that turning point of like people i don't know or strangers are engaging with this and what do you think like caused you to push past that point yeah, I think it was a lot longer after that moment um, okay. because I'm on ultimately anybody who was hearing about it that summer was probably hearing about it from me because <laughs> I was <laughs> posting about it all the time on social media and I had an account, Holdette had, account, had an account, I would share about it on Facebook and LinkedIn and everywhere. And so the point at which we were getting... I mean, at that point, we were probably getting a few random Instagram followers from mm-hmm. like hashtags maybe, but... At that point, we really hadn't figured out how to kind of sell this whole idea. And um, it, it was pretty, pretty, I don't know, simple back then. And mm-hmm. it, it's been really over the last two years that we've kind of learned how to build more of an audience and a community. Exactly. Um, I Another point I really want to hit on that I know is early in your development before we sort of begin to talk about what Holdet is today mm-hmm. um, was you started with a different name at the mm-hmm. very beginning. Um, uh, I want to the it was the collective, right? Yes. Am I remembering that right? Okay. Wow. I'm okay. Impressed. I remember that. <laughs> um, because what I think what made you switch or rebrand? Because I know you've been with Holdet for a while, and I mean personally, I'm a little biased, but I love the whole debt brand a lot more um, mm-hmm. because it is just so clear. And I know you've spent a lot of time building that and that's a point we'll hit on later. Um, but what made you like shift in the name or like, what's like, what was the power behind that? Right. I had absolutely no intention of changing the name. I used to think that the collective was brilliant. I was like, okay, we're collecting clothes with pockets, pockets collect things, collectively women want clothing with pockets. And it, it just felt like perfect to me. And in basically every single way. Then that summer that I was in the accelerator program, I wanted to become an LLC. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, it's just like I would need. I wanted to open a bank account was really the thing, and I like needed to pick some kind of legal entity to do so. Yeah. But before I could become an LLC, I had to get a trademark, and you can't. Uh, get the same trademark as somebody in the same class and there's like Mm -hmm. a ton of different classes of trademarks but basically we were trying to get a I think class 25 trademark for like reselling products basically I mean it's not exactly reselling but I don't remember what the exact description of the trademark was basically Uh we couldn't get it is is the the real point there and what I basically learned is that there's it was like a thousand registered the collective trademarks and so for me to try to for me to try to navigate this world of like trademark law was not going to be a valuable use of my time and what it also showed me is that it was not a particularly unique name and that you know when people googled the collective it was gonna be very difficult for me to come up first and so um Ultimately, that led to the decision that we needed to change the name. And so uh, 
I, it was so funny because I was sitting there in the accelerator and everybody around me was getting so much work done. And I would just sit there all day trying to come up with a name. And I would hmm. Google, you know, famous women who did great things. And what is the word pockets in other languages? And that just went on for like weeks, probably like three weeks minimum. And so I eventually decided to just get a focus group together, got like 12 friends, fed them pizza and described the problem that we were trying to solve, which was like renaming this company. And then uh, was basically like, here's how it's going to work. You're going to partner up with someone. You're going to come up with as many name ideas as possible. And then every five minutes, I'm going to switch you to another person. And so I basically just like watched them for the next hour, switch around with one another, come up with as many names as possible. I wrote them all down. I figured out which ones I could get the domain name for, which ones I could get the Instagram handle for, mm-hmm. which ones I could most importantly get the trademark for. And uh, ultimately it came down between Holdet and something else I don't even remember the name of. And I decided to go with uh, with Holdet. And obviously now I like wouldn't change the name for the world, but um, yeah, yeah, it was hard. Was that, what, I mean, that must've been like heartbreaking at first, right? Because this, you've put your whole idea and your whole vision into like the collective mm-hmm. and then like something that probably you weren't even anticipating basically says, no, try something else. Right. I think for me at the time, I was most struggling with it because I've always been someone who talked about my business all the time. And Mm -hmm. I was worried that everybody who knew me as the founder of the collective would now be so confused. And I didn't want to like, I felt, I felt like I had spent the last six months building up this brand identity. Ultimately what I would know is that I'd go on, you know, for it's been two more years after that. And, you know, people hardly, I'm impressed that you even remembered what the original name was, but that's not the kind of thing you (laughs) think about when you're like, changing the name of your whole company. I think I'm lucky that I settled on at that point so early a name that, you know, has become, I wouldn't say iconic, but, um, you know, well-known. Uh, enough. I mean, you could, you could say iconic. I would, I would argue. <laughs> Within at least my circles. Um, and it, yeah, it really worked out for the better, but it was definitely a, a grueling process back then. I mean, I, I can imagine. I remember, I mean, I think at that point we were, I saw you at least a few times a week and I mean, it was, it was you. You were so I want to say healthily obsessed with it, um, and I knew I knew with like every single step that you're going to take. But I love stories like that where you're like, I mean, that's what it takes is just like different minds. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, like please. But like when you're starting out early and you feel like you have control over this child of a business and it's going to grow and you just want to like handle it with all of your care, but you have to sort of give a little bit and you have to hear from other people, like even when you don't want to. Yeah, for sure. And I think a big lesson that I have learned over the last couple of years is who you need to be mindful of who you're listening to and and on what grounds they're giving you whatever advice, advice that they're giving you. And a lot of times people have a lot of great things to say, but sometimes uh, you kind of have to discern what is good advice and what you're not going to go with. And at the end of the day, that's for you to live with because it's your company. That's, that's, if I have to pick an excerpt so far, I think that is the perfect, the perfect like summary, I think of not only what people should stand for, but what you stand for too. Cause I think we both know people are very eager to give their opinions mm-hmm. and they will give their opinions, whether you ask or not, um, so generously. Um, but it is important to sort of keep an open mind, but also keep that filter and know exactly where you want to go and but also what people need, because at the end of the day, you're still going to towards fulfilling that void that people found so relatable. So that's great. Um, I want to move on 
and we can start if we can talk post collective and just whole debt. So when you picked this new name, what were like the changes in your mind? Because if somebody saw what whole debt used to be and what it is now, there is a clear there's a difference. Mm-hmm. And I think for the better, again, I love the whole debt brand and everything you stand for because when I hear the word now, I associate it with female empowerment and this sort of better together energy and this strong but feminine and so encouraging and inspiring sort of message. Um, when you rebranded, what were the sort of pillars that went through your mind or like, what was your focus? Like, I know you've worked a lot with social media and I'd love to hear like what you use social for and what messaging you put across there. But like from like a website to all those points, when you rebrand, what were those steps? Mm-hmm. So I think it started before we even had the new name because it, it, it went into the process of like, what does this new name need to mean? And what does it need to represent? And think words that come to mind when I think about what I wanted the brand to be then, what I want it to represent now is um, really, I've always said basically that I want our company to be that girlfriend that you get home to at the end of a work day. And like, she's like, smart and you know collected and put together and so she can give you good advice but she's also there just to like vent to at the end of the day and I've you know I've gotten so lucky that I'm basically building this company for women who are in this exact same stage of life that I am you know I graduated college last a couple months ago and I am transitioning into the workforce in kind of a unique way because I'm not trying to get a full-time job right now hopefully we'll see but um you know I I'm, I, I think that, you know, personally, my mission, like for the company and also like on earth is like to support as many women as possible and help them and help them grow and, and live out their dreams as cliche as that sounds. And (laughs) I think that ultimately, right, like we're making these clothes with pockets. And I don't think that like me giving you a pocket is going to like change the world. But I am kind of hoping that it's kind of a butterfly effect, right? Like if you don't have to spend that one second trying to figure out where your phone is, because you know that it's like, in your pocket, then maybe you can dedicate that brain space to like solving whatever big issue you're trying to solve at work or, you know, anywhere else. And it was kind of all this like sense of empowerment and confidence and best friendship that I that I wanted to like, build into the brand. And I think the way that that comes across on social media is like, we decided last November, basically, that anytime you see a face on our Instagram, you'll know who that person is. Um, because it tell, we tell you in the description, description like who she is and what her story is, and why, why she's on our Instagram, whether it's like she was on our blog, or um, with our crowdfunding campaign, you know, she donated to it, or something like that. And it gives the brand so much like life and also friendliness. And those are things that have just been very like key to to what I think it, it means to to be this brand for other people. I I love that entirely. And that's something that comes across so strongly in all of your messaging. I mean, even just like the front of your website when I've gone to it is just this like group of people who Again, like relatability is such a strong, I think, word for you. And I think you've executed that so, so well. Um, and then I think so after this accelerator program and after this rebranding, um, you moved on to eventually start the idea of the clothing line, um, which I mean, it's my understanding that this wasn't the original intention the whole time, right? No, not at all. 
that's great okay but like that's such a inspiring like moment because i mean obviously you had this idea in your mind but you realized i think the question that you said was am i doing like the best thing to solve this issue or like is my mission or what i'm doing right now solving that fulfilling fulfillingly Mm -hmm. but um what what was the first moment when you realized you needed this this switch was it something somebody said or was it another realization you had in your own yeah there was an exact moment so that year basically after the accelerator we pivoted uh, three times uh because i couldn't (laughs) settle on the idea that i liked because I would get a month into it and decided it like wasn't fulfilling at all. And, you know, if you're going to pour all your time into something, you need to love working on it. And Mm -hmm. none of the ideas that I was working on did I really love working on. And when you don't love working on something, you're going to spend less time on it and then it won't really go anywhere. So we considered doing (laughs) function box, we considered aggregating just from Amazon. And then I was like, I'm not trying to just give Amazon more business, you know? And so... (laughs) Then we, that basically brings us to last spring of 2019. And basically at that time I was like, what if we aggregate clothes from independent designers who are making clothes with pockets and then we sell those on our website. And that was great because I was going to get to support all these women, but it was, I tried to work on it for a couple months and it was very difficult to get started. And so ultimately I get to May, 2019, I do, um, pitch event it's called dolphin tank it's like shark tank the show but like they're nice to you and <laughs> and basically i'm able to do like an ask to the judges like get their feedback on something and so my ask is does it make sense to manufacture the clothes for these independent designers uh ourselves or should we let them manufacture and we just aggregate and they were like no just manufacture the clothes yourself you'll cut out so much risk it's like way fewer supply chains that you need to manage at once And so I was like, hold on, though, if I'm manufacturing all these clothes, I might as well design them myself. And at that point, I might as well just launch my own clothing line. Now, oh my gosh, were you just like so scared in that moment? (laughs) Yeah, well, I was like, this is like the moment where you realize that like I studied computer science and I don't know how to do that at all. And so (laughs) but at the same time, like making that decision felt so right. I like remember immediately telling people that I was launching a clothing line. And again, I like knew nothing. Like I knew nothing. And I was like, yep, so hold that's a clothing line now. And they were like, uh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, but for the first moment, like it, there was such a clear path forward. I remember going to an event the summer before when I was in the accelerator about um, venture capital. And I remember sitting there and being like, my business would never need venture capital because we don't spend money on anything, nor do we make any money. And, and mm-hmm. you know, maybe if that's what you're trying to do, it works out. But if you're trying to start a business, that's not exactly how you want to do it. And so I'd, I had finally stumbled on and landed on this idea where I was like, I can see a path forward and I know how it's going to grow. And I have all these ideas for unique ways that I can grow this company. And, you know, that's then what I spent the next year doing is trying to learn how to do that. And, and I'm not going to lie, it was extremely difficult, but, um, and, and every day is, is like a new challenge, but um, it, it's, it's been the most fulfilling work. I mean, I'm 20 years old, but it's been the most fulfilling work I've ever done. <laughs> Sarah's journey is one that definitely inspires us all. And well, it's about to take a huge turn. Give me just 30 seconds. I promise we'll be right back with more groundbreaking.
Hey everybody, this is where you'd typically hear me read an ad from a company or organization generous enough to sponsor or support the show. Since this is our very first episode, I won't be highlighting someone today, but rather warm you up to the idea. As the show grows and Friendly alongside it, these ads help us build and invest in not only the future of Friendly, but supporting creators like my guest on today's show. It means a lot if you'd roll with us, maybe learn about a new product you'd like, and support the show by letting us do a quick ad before we jump back in. And if you haven't already, visit us at friendlymedia.com to find out what we're up to. All right, let's get back to some more groundbreaking. Today we're talking to Sarah Graysdorf. She's the CEO and founder of Whole Debt, and she's now starting a fashion line, which is a huge undertaking and something that was daunting, but definitely didn't scare her away. We're gonna talk about how this new challenge became the Whole Debt we know and love today. You have such a, for 20 years old, a crazy mindset just of how respectful you are of your brand and, and everything. And I think what goes to show about in that moment, you realizing that this is a shift, but then you're automatically excited for that shift as scared as you were by it, that you were, you were in it for the brand. You weren't in it for your vision. You were in it for what the brand could be, which I think is something really, really powerful too. And very evident in just how quickly you're like, okay, this is the change we need to make. So I don't know, you go home, you go back to your apartment, you go back to your dorm and you're like, okay, like we're starting a clothing line. What's like the, what's the first thing you do? Because I don't know, maybe I speak for you, maybe I don't, but like, I would, I wouldn't know the first step Mm -hmm. of like starting a clothing line. Right. So like I said, I immediately started telling everybody I was launching a clothing line. Um, Really did hold back. Absolutely had zero idea what I was doing, but you know, you got to put stuff out in the universe to manifest it. So absolutely. I got lucky because I was in this religious life group on campus and there was, um, like this staff person basically for the group who is basically the most well-connected person I've ever met in my entire life. He happened to have met once this fashion professor from the Rhode Island School of Design. Once he met him. I didn't even know that. He was like, oh, I have this friend. And I was like, okay, great. So he was like, okay, great. I'm going to send you an intro email and you guys can get together. Met him. The fashion professor's name is Philip. um, And he... I mean, it's in so many ways, this company would not exist without him and without his guidance. And so I basically met with him that month, that May, and was like, okay, I'm starting a clothing line now. And he was like, you definitely don't know anything about this. And, you know, you could could (laughs) fall in his eyes. uh, That's what he was thinking. But he was very kind. And he uh, said, okay, here's where you start. You need to do some drawings. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And so he recommended this book, which I still have sitting on my desk right now as we record this podcast and it's called flats technical drawing for fashion and i was like oh technical perfect i studied computer science i get it okay i did not get it (laughs) um and so i basically started doing the drawings brought them back to him he was like these are trash but we can work from them and so he helped me do that he did the patterns he helped me make the muslin sample which is this first sample you do before you do the actual sample so that you can test stuff out and see how it looks and he was just so pivotal in giving me the confidence to even say, oh, I'm watching a clothing line because people would be like, well, how far along are you? And I could say I could point to these things that he was helping me do. And meanwhile, I was working with this organization to help me do fabric sourcing, ended up parting ways from them, but then ended up stumbling upon another group that does some similar work. And we still work with them and they're amazing. They're based out in L.A. And they kind of 
picked up where where my work with Philip left off, which was after that muslin sample, and have helped us do that first sample and these other prototypes. And um, we're manufacturing with them in LA. Um, and yeah, they've been absolute lifesavers. It's really luck. But it's also like hard work and hustling and emailing people and trying and just like putting stuff out in the universe and hoping that it manifests in something. That I mean, you put you put so much faith into that, and it sounds like you had again like you're just resilience with like I'm hearing from professionals saying like okay maybe this isn't the right step, but here's how you can improve. Mm-hmm. That mindset that you always had that I can improve and it's going to be for the best is I want to say rare because I think it is, but also so incredibly important to you. Um, and I can imagine that at this point, you're taking on a project that is so much larger than you anticipated. Um, and I know you have, for lack of a better term, a kick-ass female team behind mm-hmm. you who are incredible. Um, at what point did you realize that like I need I need people supporting me right now? Or how did you find those people? And like, how did you, again, like this, like for lack of a better metaphor, like this child of a company or brand that you have how did you like help pass that along to other people because I I can't imagine that was easy right so I had someone helping me run our Instagram account as early as that summer accelerator program because I immediately knew that running an Instagram account was a lot of work and then if I spent time on that I would not spend time on anything else and so that I think is when you when you Realize that work needs to get done, that if you spend any time on is going to be a significant burden to the rest of the work that you need to do. That's when you hire somebody because it's every time you bring someone on, that's one more person that you have to manage and keep track of. And honestly, that's a lot of work. But Mm -hmm. um, I'd already I'd always had someone I'd gone through a couple social media people, actually, um, just because it was kind of a hard job. But uh, January 2019, roughly. It was winter break. I was back home in Washington, D.C. I was out to lunch with friends. We were getting sushi. I remember like the exact moment. And (laughs) I had just parted ways from my previous Instagram person who was like, it's too much work. I can't do it anymore. And so I was telling my friends about how I needed someone now. And my friend, Miriam, was like, oh, I'll do it. And I was like, you sure? (laughs) And so uh, two or so weeks later, I think we set up a call. And I was like, this is everything. This is what it is. Like, this is the way it needs to be done, all this stuff. And she was like, okay. So she's still on the team, which is really good because it's been like um, a year and a half now. And she's been incredible and really taking that load off my plate. So that was the first time I brought somebody on. Or like that's still with the team now. Gotcha. Then in October of 2019, I think I went to some event um, about fundraising. And they were like, it's so much harder to raise venture capital and get money from angel investors if you're if you don't have a co-founder. And so I immediately was like, oh my gosh, I need a co-founder. Like I'm never gonna be able to raise money as it is women only get two percent of VC funding and now I'm gonna get zero. And so not really having any intentions of raising venture capital anytime soon, I still was like, I need to find somebody. So I went on a hunt and that I think is really what spurred the growth of the team because I I found somebody who is no longer on the team, but it's kind of irrelevant. So I ended up finding her. I found her on a platform called Girl Boss. This other girl, Richaita, who's on the team, um, ended up following up with that post as well and being like, oh, I love this idea. I want to work on it. I then decided I wanted to launch a blog um, to grow like our content. And so I 
put a job description in the BU College of Communications undergraduate newsletter, which I think might be meant for like real companies. But I would email them and I was like, hi, my name is <laughs> and I run a company. It's called Holdet and I'm hiring for this position. And then they would just send it out of their newsletter as if I was like, you know, a, a, not a student. Um, and so I found um, Harper, who, who runs our blog through there. And then ultimately Shay, who does PR for us. And so at that point, we were um, minus the, the girl who ended up leaving. There were now five of us. And then the last three have come on actually fairly recently. So when our when our team member left, we needed someone who could work with Harper, who was running the blog, because Harper was great at writing, but she wanted some support with editing and also someone to help write additional content. So she posted in a journalism group. We found Jenny. I happened to be in this Oh, this is kind of a crazy, like, random story. I happened to be in the group. I, I got accepted into this group for founders and for people who wanted to join startups. Nearly everybody in the group studied business and computer science, except this girl named Cameron, who studied fashion design at the University of Cincinnati. And so I saw that she studied fashion design, and I immediately sent her a message. And I was like, hi, Cameron. I'd like to interview you to bring, me on, bring you on to my team. So found Cameron and then ended up finding a girl named Emily who does graphic design. And that rounds out our current team of eight. To get to your point, this is such a long-winded story. To get to your point about, <laughs> about delegating, it's always been a challenge for me because ultimately I know that if I did every single one of these tasks, it would turn out the way that I wanted, but it would also take a million years and none of it would get done. And I I have this web that's that I drew that's hung up on my wall that basically breaks down every single element of our company. And if I tried to do every single one of those circles, we none of them would, would get done well. Um, and so it's been a real lesson in like giving up control, but they're incredibly responsive, work so, so hard and are all, I would say, equally passionate about bringing this dream to life as I am. And so when I say, Hey, I need your help doing something, or they're like, Hey, I need more work. Give me something to do. Like, I know that they want to execute at a hundred percent because they want to see the company grow as much as I do. That's that must be so fulfilling and comforting for you to know that there's people who are like standing next to you now as you dive into this new challenge and adventure. Um, that's so valuable. Do you do you feel like you took on a new challenge or a new element to your role now? I don't want to say managing people because it sounds like you have a really great network and that may be the actual activity that you're doing, but um, it sounds like everybody works really well together. Do you feel like there's an extra pressure on the success of Holdet because other people are now behind it? No. And it's okay to say no. It's it's completely okay to say no. No, because I don't think they're looking to me with this pressure that like their life is somehow worse off if this doesn't manifest into greatness. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I think that they are are here because they care about the, the mission and the solution and the product and the, the problem that we're solving. But if it wasn't to turn into, you know, a million billion dollar company, they wouldn't be worse off for the experience. They would, I, I think they would say that they were, they were better off. Got you. That's again, a great, a great standpoint to have. And so now you're like, you're going full on, you are, meeting with people and you're sort of building out this brand. I remember you telling me, I think I was on the phone with you one day last year and you're like, 
oh, I have to go. Like I'm going to see some samples or something. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's really, she's really doing it. There wasn't a doubt in my mind that you were going to do it, but it was really exciting for me to hear. Um, so as this developed, what was like the first, have you held like the suit like yet? Or I mean, like you have like this like product when you first saw it or when you finally got to that point, what was like the thought that was going through your mind? Mm-hmm. So the very first suit arrived in the mail and I opened it and it was kind of surreal because like for the last year I had been working so hard to get to this point. But the thing is when you make something like this, you have a vision of exactly how it's going to look, but so rarely can that vision be manifested on the first try. And so I got this suit and to be honest, and I don't want this to sound like pessimistic, but I was like, this is so great. And I'm so happy that it's here, but like these are the 10 things I already know that we need to change because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm never going to release a product that I like wouldn't wear myself. And there were issues with it. I'm going to be upfront, like there were issues with it, but you have to get to that point to be able to take the next step. You know what I mean? Like there's no world in which like really the suit was going to arrive and be perfect. Um, Cause I'm trying to build the suit and I'm in Boston, the team making it is in LA and you know, it it's crazy that this whole thing is even, we're even able to do as much as we can, but I mean, putting it on was exciting for, for sure. And looking in the mirror and knowing like, Hey, I made that and then getting to do like the crowdfunding video and the photos for that and everyone being like, wow. And it's so funny because everyone is like, wow, it looks amazing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like two sizes too big. And these are all the issues <laughs> that I like nobody even noticed, right? Because like, you know, you have this vision of how it's going to look in your head. Nobody else does. Um, and so I think ultimately for me, it was like a stepping stone. And when we get to that final suit that we're like ready to manufacture, then then I think I'll I'll feel a little bit more at peace. But I don't think you ever I don't, at least to this point, I've never really stopped being, you know, excited and, and a little bit anxious about what comes next. Wow. I, uh, what a wave of emotions. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you have, you have the best mindset. And I, I know a couple months ago, you launched the like funding campaign mm-hmm. um, because I'm sure it's not easy financially to start a clothing line. Mm-hmm. Um, when, were you always planning to do the fundraising thing? Because I know that can be hard for a lot of people who are starting a product or a service or some, some sort of creative element um, to like ask for, ask for money. And it's a hard thing, especially as a young entrepreneur to figure out how you're going to fund something. And it's difficult because you constantly ask friends and family for so, so much right up front. Um, What, what went through your mind and what was that thought process? Because you did a really unique funding campaign where you sort of gave rewards. So people were donating for something tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, how how did that come to be? And it was built. And I know you used iFundWomen, which is a really interesting, interesting platform that I wasn't familiar with too. Mm-hmm. So we had always known we needed to do pre-sales because I, there was no world in which I had the money to produce like 200 suits. Um, just mm-hmm. being in my big account. I mean, I'm 20 years old and I've never worked <laughs> a full-time job because I'm 20 years old. So um I always knew we were going to have to do pre-sales. There was a conversation I had a couple months ago with a mentor before the crowdfunding campaign happened who was like, you know, the reason that doing a crowdfunding campaign is better than doing pre-sales on your site is because you're only doing pre-sales on your website for people who want to buy your product. 
But there's so many more people that want to give you money and support this dream that might not need a suit right now. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, being the savvy entrepreneur I was, I was like, well, I'm not trying to leave money on the table. So uh, we did this crowdfunding campaign. And what I think ended up being a huge benefit of it is that we were able to like rally our whole community around this and, uh, and be able to kind of update people on what was happening in a really unique way and really invite people into the process of this development. And we've always been so community focused that it was just a really great opportunity again to engage with everybody. And you're right, it is really hard to make that ask for money. But at the end of the day, what I you know say to people now who are thinking about starting crowdfunding campaigns is that, and what was said to me, is that the people who are going to give you money love you. And you giving them the opportunity to support your campaign is, is just one way that they're able to show that that love, that that love for you and that belief that you are going to make this happen. And so instead of thinking of it as a burden, when you ask people, think of it as a chance to just invite them and into this partnership. I, I love that. And that's, that's something that I've actually never really thought of it that way. But that's true. I mean, ultimately people, it's a gift to support the people that you love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's exactly what you did. And one of the really unique things that I loved about your funding campaign and this sort of platform you built, because I think as anybody who's listening has caught on to by now, you're very community oriented and you really defined the success of Hold Ed as improving the lives of other people. Um, and one of those ways that you've done that is through the, um, the just the membership program back mm-hmm. pocket, which I think is so interesting and is such a unique um, resource that I think is in such high demand and is something that's really amazing and something I know you would have definitely taken advantage of last last time. So, what was the process of back pocket and maybe probably give a little brief about how cool it is too. <laughs> awesome. So. Our mission as a company is to support women from the moment they get dressed in the morning. And so, you know, we're equipping you with this really awesome workwear, but we know that your day doesn't end the second that you put it on. And so we basically thought as a company, how can we best support our customers throughout her entire day? Which really ultimately led us to launching this membership program, which we call Back Pocket. And I'll tell you why we do that. It's because we don't put back pockets on any of our pants because ultimately I think they're a inferior kind of pocket. You just end up sitting <laughs> down to like go to the bathroom or and your phone falls in the toilet or you sit down and you're all of a sudden sitting on your phone. I mean, there's it's not a good idea to put a pocket there. Um, but people have only done that as a backup because front pockets have not been sufficient until now. But um, that's why we, but we also launched, we also called it back pocket because we're equipping you with resources that we hope that you can keep in your back pocket. So with that all as a backdrop, basically what the membership program involves is one-on-one mentorship. So everyone gets assigned a personal mentor who's in their field, but a couple years further along um, to mentor them professionally, personally. You can either meet every week or the other week. It's up to you and your mentor. And then uh, we do a Sunday check-in call every single Sunday. We have this whole framework where we have you reflect on the last week and then set goals for next week. And um Basically, we do that, and then we do a podcast club, which is like a book club, but for podcasts. And then we do professional and personal development workshops run by either members of our community or external people. So we did a cool workshop on like how to Marie Kondo your inbox, um, <laughs> how to be an adult, um, how to set up your personal brand, how to turn a side hustle into 
um, you know, a passion project, like into a side hustle, all this stuff that you might be thinking about right now, but you know, how can I actually, what's actionable steps I can take to execute on it. And so what's really more than like each of those individual resources is, is this community that's been built. And they say, you know, for the entrepreneurs listening, the difference between a company and a community is when the people that are engaged with your company are engaged with one another. That's when it becomes a community. And so for us, it's so exciting to see these people in our in our membership program, you know, connecting with one another without our help. They just message each other. We have like a Slack group. They just communicate with each other that way. You know, maybe reaching out to a mentor that you weren't assigned to just because you want to learn more about her and her work, stuff like that. And when you build that, but the center of it is still your company, that's when people really get engaged and very much bought into everything that that you're doing and so um we found it to be valuable from you know a marketing and sales perspective and from just like a building a brand identity perspective wow yeah and you again i think you again you started with this like hole um that you filled but then you found again the continuous question of what else can i do to fulfill this demand and this need and you created a really great resource and how just real quick how do these mentors like come in, were these people that you just asked personally or just people who are also just as passionate about this mission as you were? Yeah, it's uh, very largely my personal network that I've tapped to be mentors. And that's great. That's how that's how everything's it's how it always that's a start. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So basically in exchange for giving their time to mentor, we give them free access to the rest of our resources. Um for the members, we do charge ten dollars a month just to help us keep everything afloat and running. But um yeah, and we found you know a lot of success and a lot of joy coming from from both ends. That's amazing, and I I would imagine I would hope like a, a platform that a lot of people are eager to give to, and that's great the way you've built the community. How as we sort of start to wrap up here, how has like the idea and the concept of Holdet changed just this year as you sort of taken on this this huge um, project that you weren't anticipating. I think it's given us an opportunity to evaluate, you know, what our mission as a company is and and how we can best support our customer in ways beyond what we even thought was capable. And it's so interesting because I have conversations with people and they're like, Sarah, like, you know, stay focused on one thing, execute really well, and then grow. And I'm like, yeah, I could do that, but... I could try a million things at once, or at least maybe two, and 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 see what works, right? Because I'm at such an exciting stage at this beginning moment, and I think instead of saying, you know, let's finish the suit, let's get it out there, let's start selling it, like, yes, let's definitely do that, but how do we keep people engaged for the entire, like, process? How do we actually, like, get them excited about what's happening when I can't even hand them a suit? And so instead mm-hmm. of thinking of it as a distraction, I think of it more as like a beautiful addition that allows us to keep people excited and engaged with the brand. Ultimately, we've seen our members and our mentors both purchased suits through the crowdfunding campaign. And so, you know, it's a it's a marketing and sales thing. It's, it's a community development thing. And it's really all just come together super nicely. That's, oh God, it's so great. And something I, I always knew would happen, but also something I've always hoped for you. Um, I want to end with two last points that I want to make sure we end every single episode with. The first being, let's just manifest it right now. Mm-hmm. What is the success of Holdet in however many years you want to think forward? Either, I don't know, one, five, 10, 20, whatever you would like. Manifest it right now. Like, what's the success of Holdet? 
yeah i like have such i i have it so ready to go basically we have <laughs> a full line of work where it's incredible when people think mm, i'm graduating college and i need some clothes where should i go they go to whole debt and then we have these back pocket communities in so many different cities and so when a girl graduates and she moves to a new city for a new job and she's like oh my gosh i'm not gonna have any friends never fear we have a whole community of best friends waiting for you right there for you to plug into and then we have this retail store and it's great and it feels like a living room and there's fresh cookies all the time and like yeah maybe we'll try and sell you a suit but if you don't buy a suit and you just want to hang out on our couch and eat a cookie, like that's totally fine. And it's an event space, but it's also a store. And then in the back, we have co-working spaces for female entrepreneurs to get their ideas off the ground. And and that's all that in, you know, like one to 10 years. I love it. Well, about a year from now, I'll come visit that store. <laughs> I have a feeling, I have a feeling that is such a realistic and like beautiful thing that I definitely know is going to happen for you. Always cheering you on forever. The last thing I want to end with is we've talked so much about you and this incredible journey that you've had and how you've really built up this platform brand that you're so proud of. Um, let's focus on the listener just for the last minute or so. For those people who are listening right now, whether they are thinking of something specific or don't really know what they want to tackle or are just interested in this sort of realm whatsoever, um, let's think of something tangible that they can take away. Because I feel like a lot of the times when we listen to this, these sort of podcasts and stuff, it's always like, um, oh, just like stick to your brand or like have a clear message or like, um, you know, like those sort of like just more philosophical takeaways. Mm -hmm. But let's think of something like really, really specific and tangible. Like if somebody's listening right now, what's something they could do today that mm -hmm. could get them, get, get them started on this road? Right. I think... You know, the exact execution will probably depend on what your idea is, but I think people look at Hold That right now and they're like, wow, she's watching this clothing line. She has this membership. But if you remember back to the beginning when I, when we started this podcast, it was literally a newsletter, which I made in the free tier of MailChimp and like scoured the internet, stole photos from companies, put them in a newsletter and told my like 10 friends to sign up. It All you have to do is start. And it, you do not need to build the final execution of your product in the next hour, but all you have to do is just like start doing like one little thing. And like, yeah, I know you want to be practical. I can't tell you what that exact thing for your business is, <laughs> but there is something that will allow you to test a hypothesis that you have that does not involve the, the money. First of all, it's probably free. There's probably something you can do that's free and it's probably something you can do within the next hour. Oh, I love it. No, that's great. That's great. Cause they, we always wonder like, what's, what's this first step or the next stair to climb or whatever, um, whatever metaphor you want to use. Um, but Sarah, thank you so much. I know you are insanely busy launching this incredibly excellent and fulfilling community and brand. Um, so proud of you, everything you're doing and we'll definitely keep in touch. Um, for anybody who's interested in the back pocket program, what can they do right now? If you go to holddebt.com, there's a membership tab, which you can check out and get all signed up there. Um, an easier action item would be to follow us on Instagram. Oh, yeah. I'll make sure I give out all the handles, all the information on the outro, too. Don't okay. you worry. I got you always. <laughs> well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us for the very first episode. It means a lot to me. Best of luck to you. Thank you so much, Jake. Bye. 
Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us today. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. If you're just as inspired as I am by Sarah's journey and want to follow Holdet, well, you can. It's at Holdet, H-O-L-D-E-T-T-E on all platforms, including the brand new TikTok now. Make sure you check that out. You can also follow Sarah at Sarah Graysdorf and learn more about the company at Holdet.com. And trust me, you don't want to miss out on what we have next for you on the show. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming service and follow us at Friendly Media. That's F-R-N-D-L-Y on all platforms. You can also follow me at Jake Brewer Music. Well, that's all for today. See you next time for some more Groundbreaking.